The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. I had just arrived in London at 18 and spotted this movie marquee, Meetings with Remarkable Men. The film was about the philosopher Gurdjieff, but it was the title that spoke to me. I wanted to know people like that, people changing the world by the way they lived. I've sought them out ever since, and now we'll hear from many of them on the Victoria Moran podcast, Meetings with Remarkable Women. Welcome to the podcast. Your host, Victoria Moran, author of Creating a Charmed Life, Younger by the Day, and Main Street Vegan, invites you to conversations designed to help you thrive in your body, cozy up to your soul, and use your unique gifts to change the world. Now, here's Victoria. You know when they say beautiful inside and out, and you have an idea of somebody who was like one of the cool girls at school? How could I ever be like that, no matter how long it's been since I went to school? But you know, when somebody is really beautiful inside and out, it's because that inner light is just shining like the Dickens. And that's what's going on with my guest for today. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, and welcome to the Victoria Moran podcast, Meetings with Remarkable Women. And I'm just so blessed to say that I have another one for you today. This is Nina Hayes, who is a plant-based chef, yoga teacher, and founder of Blossom Ostomy. She has shared her spiritualized cuisine at pop-up dinners throughout the U.S. and in Tulum, Mexico. In addition, she's led yoga retreats in Bali and has researched exercise and nutrition initiatives with the Harvard Cancer Center, Boston Children's Hospital, and Canyon Ranch. Presently, Nina is based in Los Angeles and Tulum and travels wherever she is called to spread the use to the use of food and yoga and to spread love and light and healing. I have known Nina since 2014 when she attended Main Street Vegan Academy. And you know, they say the old friends are the best friends and it's lovely to reconnect. Welcome, Nina. Thank you, Victoria. That has to be the absolute sweetest kindest introduction and um i would say you're definitely a, a reflection of of all of this beauty i've admired you so much for years and even though it was over a decade or uh, yeah since i almost almost, almost a decade, a decade yeah since i was in the class i think of the academy so frequently and your work and just your um positive energy that the genuineness your altruism that you bring to your books to your clients um into the academy i i just always aspire to to do that in in some small way myself so thank uh, you for being exa- an example Well, you do it beautifully, even in the wording that you choose to describe yourself and and your various kinds of businesses and outreach in the world. You do a lot of things. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what it is when you have all kinds of, my grandmother would say, irons in the fire and how, how you keep everything going. But let's start with the food. Always a good idea to start with the food. And you have a chef name. It's called the Enlightened Chef. And you do dinner events in Los Angeles and perhaps in Tulum, you can tell us that, called the Enlightened Supper Club. So what's going on with all the enlightenment? (laughs) Well, the enlightenment um, 
it doesn't necessarily refer to me. That would, I feel like would come across a bit arrogant. The enlightened chef is bringing enlightenment through others. And I guess the word has kind of a, a double meaning, like enlightened, the food is spiritually light because it, it's plant-based, it's clean, it's organic, um, it's imbued with love. And um, enlightened because the chefing uh, I do privately and all the, the dinner events, um, there to restore kind of the ritual aspect to not just what we eat, but how we eat and with whom we choose to eat with. So kind of the, the vision um, and where it all came from is I have been teaching yoga since uh, 2009. I'm a Jeeva Mukti yoga teacher and I love the ritual of yoga and I wanted to bring that element into food and into dining um in in yoga as you know uh consecrated food is, is called prasad so i wanted to make the food kind of like imbued with this spirituality and and this love so it was uh i guess the the spirituality and the love in the food it food it's the the secret ingredient that no one maybe can quite identify, you know, because it's not saffron, it's not cilantro, it's it's love. And it it makes all the difference um, in the taste of the food. You remind me of something, Nina, years and years ago, before I moved to New York City, when I was living in Kansas City, in a very cool neighborhood that had a lot of independent restaurants. And there was a Vietnamese place. And my daughter and I discovered that this one soup that the proprietor would make, which she would make vegan for us, seemed to have almost miraculous healing properties. And if we thought we were coming down with something, we would go and get Mimi's soup. And I was mentioning that to another friend in the neighborhood. And she said, well, you know what Mimi puts in that soup? And I'm like, no, what? Because I thought it was going to be some kind of herb and I could just buy it and have it around. She said, she puts love in that soup. And it's really true. And I love the idea that if we are here on earth seeking this enlightenment, seeking to become who we truly are, then everything we interact with, including the food we eat, can be part of that process. So describe a, a meal. Let's just start in the very practical, down-to-earth, foodie way. If we came to one of your enlightened supper club events, what would you feed us? Well, the food is, um, it's pretty much always Japanese inspired. Sometimes that inspiration is a loose inspiration, um, but some of the food I study and enjoy is uh, macrobiotics. And then some of the, the food, the Japanese tradition that was um, served in monasteries, also with, with a high-end kind of uh, magical twist. So let's think of a recent supper club. Um, we had... And when I use the word cream and these dairy words, they're always uh, a, a vegan version. So um, a mushroom bisque with uh, gilded moshi croutons. I'm closing my eyes trying to remember what I served. Um, and then we might have a, a cauliflower Alfredo over um, yuba fettuccine with a vegan caviar, a seaweed caviar, served with um, some lobster tail mushrooms that would mimic a, a seafood, um, a tower of root with a black sesame dressings so that would be all, you know, parsnips in your uh, earthy vegetables. Um, and then let's see, a recent dessert was a matcha creme brulee with um, some, uh almond almond cookies on the side yeah oh so oh i want an enlightened dinner just hearing you say that makes me want to make a more enlightened dinner this very evening i think sometimes when I you just you do and i want a picture <laughs> oh well let's not go get carried away uh, <laughs> but i think that you know it's one thing whenever you're doing it professionally or if you're doing it you know to entertain 
But when it's just yourself or yourself and your partner or yourself and your family, it's just like, oh, you know, here, have some food. <laughs> and so to just think about making everything beautiful, it's just really, really such a spiritual discipline. And I also love that you're coming at this from a micro macrobiotic um, vantage point, because I do a lot with Ayurveda and a lot of people that call themselves something like enlightened or doing raw food. And it's sort of like religions, you know, you can come to that peace with food through mm -hmm. different paths. I just think as long as you're not killing anybody and respecting nature. Yeah, I, I do. I do totally agree. It is kind of analogous to religion at the end of the day if you commit to a path of truth and beauty it ultimately leads to the same place of enlightenment mm. so um i i do tend to be influenced by like macrobiotics also ayurveda um i don't do as much raw maybe because i'm vata is that's my ayurvedic dosha so i tend to like not thrive on the raw food so um i don't i use some raw but yeah primarily i'll do macro and um with some Ayurvedic influence. Yes. Well, I'm Vata as well, not as Vata as you are. Just to look at you, you seem like a pure Vata. I always think Audrey Hepburn, that's the, the pure oh. Vata. And and you oh, yeah. are as well. Yeah. I, and I'm mostly Vata with some Pitta, but of course, now that I'm older, we all get more Vata, which for people who aren't familiar with this kind of stuff, it's a kind of lightning. You know, it, it's like, I think as you kind of, become a little bit maybe more spiritual and wise woman in the later later years you also kind of you know just get a little bit drier your digestion becomes a little more sensitive and some of those grounding cooked food soup and porridge and that kind of thing mm -hmm. just gets real attractive <laughs> I, I think i douse everything include like my body and like consuming in coconut oil ah I think it really counteracts the vata nicely, you know? Yeah. And I know of, you know, a lot of people, probably a lot of people listening are, are oil-free and that's cool. It's done a lot of great things for a lot of people, but I know if you're really vata, it just really seems that you've got to have some lubrication. So being of uh, Italian descent, uh, mine is usually extra virgin olive oil and not excessive. You know, I don't want to make all these wonderful whole food, plant-based, no oil people think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm uh, swimming and uh, mm -hmm. uh, guzzling oil, but yeah, just, and I find more as, as I get older, as I become more Vata, I really do need a little bit of that that I didn't need so much before. There is so much about listening to yourself and and just trusting. And and also trusting like like you're speaking of how your body changes. I mean, what was right for you when you were 20, maybe not it, it maybe is not right for you now or what was right for you when you lived in Kansas City maybe is not right in New York. So like right. figuring out what and where and uh just the ebb and flow of everything and and I, I think the older I get I, I'm less dogmatic and I'm less judgmental because what worked for me once you know may not work for me now so I never want to influence that you know overly influence people's decisions oh golly the world would be nice if people got less dogmatic so if it comes from getting older and everybody's getting older, maybe <laughs> we're all getting less dogmatic too, I let's hope. hope. <laughs> so you call yourself a food empath. And we all know what food is. And I think most of us know what an empath is. So let's bring that together and uh, let us know what this means in terms of how you eat and cook for your clients and just your general life and sustenance. Yeah, it's it's interesting how um, I, I stumbled upon that term because I guess from a very young age, I was what they call a food empath. Um, and I've recently, you know, I've read that in books, like it's a thing, right? And it's basically you taste the emotion in the food. But when I was um, young, like I, for as long as I can remember, I've, I've had this. And uh, I was really embarrassed about it because I, 
I just had never heard about it. So I thought it was weird. I was kind of ashamed of it. I never spoke of it. But sometimes, you know, at a restaurant or something, I just couldn't eat something. Um, and I felt like I was tasting like anger. And I would get very, very depressed if I ate something that I could tell the person that made it was angry. And like, I kept this a secret until very recently because I was like, I'm so weird. Like, no one is going to get this. And then I stumbled upon this book. It was a novel. And the title was The Curious Sadness of Lemon Cake, I believe. And it was a, it was a novel about this character who was a food empath. And I was like, oh my God, I'm less embarrassed. This is actually like a legitimate thing. And then I read a psychologist nonfiction book. And again, she, she cleared, like made it, um, what's the word, like validated me. So I didn't feel crazy. So now I share it. And it's also why I'm plant-based. Um, I remember I had been vegetarian probably since like the age of 13. And then I did uh, my first yoga training in Sydney. And uh, at that point I was I was a pescatarian, um, primarily vegetarian, but pescatarian. And I was doing this deep uh, intensive yoga training and meditation. And I remember I, I got to a restaurant and I ordered like a salmon curry or something. And I tried to eat it and I got weak and felt like I was going to faint. And something told me just like, send it back. I like apologize profusely. And then I got the tofu curry, ate it, felt perfectly fine. And then this happened a second time at the same restaurant. And I was like, wow, okay, clearly I can't eat. Um, I can't eat fish anymore because I was feeling some kind of um, emotion off of that. And I was getting like weak and really felt like I was going to faint. And then th these things would happen. And like, you know, like if I had dairy, you know, I, you know, vegan, so I don't eat dairy, but occasionally I'd go to a party, maybe dairy sneaks in or I decide it's okay for whatever reason and I would have um nightmares of cows like like mooing in like a tortured way so it, it's like I it's just like not um it's not really possible for me to be um like a meat or fish eater I will suffer too much that is so interesting. And that reminds me of all of the spiritual traditions about the important role of the cook. I remember a Sikh friend uh, back in Kansas City used to tell me that in her tradition, you would approach the kitchen when it was time to prepare a meal, and you would do a scan of your body and your mind. And if you were annoyed or anxious or having some kind of negative thoughts, you would not make that meal. You would leave. You would go mm -hmm. meditate. You would take a walk in nature. You would talk it out with someone admirable. And you just would not touch the food until you were in a kind of psycho-spiritual state that you were willing to pass on to those who ate your food. Yeah. I mean, all of that seems really like logical and makes total sense to me. And I I've been kind of doing this a while that I thought it was normal, but like, for instance, if I have a dinner, like if someone's hired me to do a dinner at their home or maybe I'm doing a pop-up, um, I won't leave my house for, oh, probably two days straight because I need to do like a lot of meditation. I need to do a lot of yoga asana. Um, I can't really talk that much because I, the food is not going to come out right if I'm out in the world engaging, you know, potentially picking up some kind of influence. So I don't totally, you know, I don't always live like uh, in this kind of monkish way. But if I'm pre prepping for a dinner, I, I definitely do. And if someone asks me to co go out, in my mind, I'm thinking like, that's a crazy idea. Don't you know I have a dinner tonight? Like, but not everyone, you know, not everyone has this way of functioning as I do. Um, well, everything's on a continuum. And so I think, you know, you're describing 
the the ultimate and how cool that would be if we always ate food prepared by somebody in that state of mind. And then, you know, most of us were running around and we're working and we've got families and whatnot, but we can still ground ourselves. We can still say a little prayer. And, and then we've got the other extreme, which is probably fast food. You know, mm -hmm. I think in, in the restaurant world, there's a lot of stress and tension, even in the very best restaurants. But at least if you're going to a restaurant where people care about the cuisine, that goes a long way. But my sense is if you're working at a fast food restaurant, it's just a step to the next thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, with the, the quality of the food is something else, but the quality of the atmosphere has just got to be a whole lot of not caring. 100%. And I don't want to suggest that everyone has to go to the level I do. But if, if someone has hired me to deliver an experience, I feel like it's part of my job to, to do that preparation so that they have something special. But I think everyone can do something simple, like, like you said, a prayer before they eat, or just taking, you know, five, five seconds to acknowledge where the food came from. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a grand gesture. Right. I'm thinking of a, another thing, you're sparking so many ideas in me, Nina. I was in Sedona and I've been there a few times. It's so beautiful and it's so fun. It's a hard place for me to be. I kind of think it's like a karmic place or something. I feel like Sedona doesn't like me. I go there and I run into all sorts of just little snags and difficulties. And one day I was there and things were just not going very well. And I was really tense. And I noticed this restaurant over on the right-hand side of the road, and it was called Chocola Tree. And I'm not even sure why I was attracted to it or why I thought that they would have vegan food. Turned out it was all vegan. And I ordered a couple of things, starting with soup. I took one bite of that soup and all of that tension was just gone. It was like, what is going on here? Have have they put, you know, like Valium in the soup? Mm -hmm. But it was, I think, the combination, you know, of the energies and the spices and the warmth for me as a Vata. It was like instant. No, it was almost like, oh, miracle cure for stress and anxiety. And it can do that. So yeah, I mean, everyone has the ability to tune into what you're tuning into. It's just often um, people haven't practiced it, you know, the, the food has energy, of course, it's vibrating at a certain frequency. I mean, science is all proving this. It's just, just like there are radio waves in the air, uh, unless you have a radio and tune it into a certain frequency or a certain station on the dial you don't hear those, you don't hear the music, but it's mm, there. Yeah. It's the same with food. There, the energy is there, it's vibrating. But if you haven't tuned your frequency to taste it, you won't. But it's it's always there. And so not everyone realizes it on a conscious level, but some people are just like, they might not even consider themselves spiritual. They're just like, wow, that was the best meal I've ever tasted. And they don't know why, but it's usually that uh, vibration. As you say, always there. Yeah, it's always there. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. So let's talk a little bit, Nina, about how you got to where you are. Let's go back and kind of introduce yourself bio-wise. Uh, where are you from? What were you like as a little girl? What led you to yoga and doing what you do with food and doing what you do um, with 
all of your many, many projects and businesses? Um, I was born in Boston. I went to a Catholic school at a young age um, for several years. And I was always drawn to um, mysticism and saints. I loved, I think I was, and I was always embarrassed about this stuff as a kid because it wasn't really cool. But when we had the, I remember we had a monk that came once a week for catechism and he was just like very mysterious and different than the normal priests. And I didn't know at that time he was like a mystic. So uh, I guess from a young age, you know, I was always into spirituality uh, in some shape or form. Um, I was a very sensitive child um, in the true you know, and the true meaning of it. Um, my mother called me Betty Davis, and I didn't know who that was until I was older, but I was very kind of dramatic and sensitive. And uh, so ultimately, you know, that, that led me towards yoga. Um, I started reading like the Bhagavad Gita in high school. And then, um, then that kind of led me towards G to uh, Jiva Mukti Yoga lineage, which was very influential in my life. Sharon Gannon and David Life influenced me greatly. They're also um, like myself, they're um, artists. Like I was a former dancer. So um, in some way, um, Jiva Mukti kind of uh, allowed me to see that like my disparate interests were also okay. Um, I'm trying to think childhood, it's funny. Um, basically, it took a while to come back to myself, but what, what I did as a child is really what I'm doing now professionally. Um, instead of cartoons, I watched Julia Child. That was my favorite thing to watch. I just was obsessed with Julia Child and I, I wanted to be a chef. Uh, and then this 80s show, Yen Can Cook, I was obsessed with that. Um, so that kind of, you know, the yoga, the, um, the movement, the spirituality, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I was very ill um, starting at the age of 16. I had a life-threatening digestive illness that uh, has no name, but it required over 20 major surgeries, um, reconstruction of my intestines, removal of my colon, permanent ostomy, um, so that was pretty much like my formative years from 16 to very recently. So that's when I got into like, I guess the deeper spiritual teachings, just like reconciling life and death and um, finding out why I'm here on this planet or at least trying to. Um, yeah, that's that's the short story. That's the short story, how I ended up here and kind of dovetailing my love for yoga, food, spirituality, and helping others heal um, from physical trauma. And you certainly did describe physical trauma. I, I think it's the sort of, of illness and treatment that so many people would say, well, I'm a pretty strong person, but I couldn't go through that. And yet you did. So can you walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can I can talk about the digestive illness. Um, so I, I had, um, you know, quite suddenly around the in the around 16, the cells in my large intestine mutated and I had to have my colon removed. And like I said, 20 something surgeries, some of it I, I barely remember because, you know, there is this trauma. Um, but uh, yeah, people do say, you know, they they couldn't have done it. Um, I, I couldn't have done it without the training I had in yoga. Um, I remember I was at, uh, I think I was at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester at that time. I was about, I was in my early 20s. And it would it was before I got, did my Jiva Mukti yoga training, but I had some background in yoga. And I, I thought I was dying. I had a surgical complication. I really, literally thought I was dying. I was by myself. It was like probably two in the morning. 
and um in into my mind popped this i don't know where it came from it was it was repeating saying you're not this body you're not this mind you're not this body you're not this mind and somehow that got me through and i i tapped into something deeper than my body and deeper than my mind because um my mind at that point i felt like i was going crazy i did not want to live i was so anxious and depressed um my body was totally disfigured i had tubes sticking out of every orifice so i didn't want to be attached to my body and then this phrase came in you're not the body you're not the, your mind i kept repeating that throughout the night um obviously i didn't die and then years later i was in jivamukti yoga teacher training at omega institute and we learned a mantra and it was you probably heard this mantra i know you that you've done a lot of deep yoga study victoria it was who am i i'm not this body i'm not this mind and once again it was like validating i was like that's a real mantra like that was dropped into my psyche years before and and saved me so the order of things has been very peculiar but like in retrospect it's it's connected and um I guess the point in sharing that story is that uh I I don't think any human could have survived emotionally or physically what I've gone through. It's like I'm not that special. I'm not that strong. I just luckily through karma probably um I somehow got tools. And I've worked hard. I've studied deeply. I've done my meditation, I've done my studies, but I have tools that um I use as like you know to to get through all of to get through all of these surgeries you know like um yeah wow that I I'm just sitting here amazed at at who you are and uh the kind of of guidance and just the kind of spiritual uh connection that you have it just feels like such a, a privilege to be talking with you as as one little kid who wanted to grow up and be a mystic to another. Aww. So I know that you're taking this experience. I have a 12-step background and one of the phrases there is no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we can see how our experience can benefit others. And you're using your experience to benefit others in so many ways, but probably most specifically through your company, Blossom Ostomy. Tell us about that. Yeah, Blossom Ostomy um, is a uh, a virtual program and um, a community to help individuals with ostomies. Um, and if people don't know it, I should I should say what an ostomy is. I realize not many people don't know. So an okay. ostomy is a surgical opening in the abdominal wall which allows the contents of the bowel to empty into like an external bag or pouching system. So people have ostomies usually from um some kind of colon cancer, Crohn's disease, colitis or sometimes like a a trauma, like a gunshot wound or some kind of damage to the intestines. Um So that's an ostomy. Um so there's as you can imagine anything involving, you know, the guts, the bowels, that a lot of shame. Um so I suffered for years, shame, isolation, hiding myself from the world. Um some family members and even my closest friends had no idea I had an ostomy. And that shame was like it was it was suffering you know i felt like i wasn't sharing my authenticity i wasn't sharing my gifts i felt like uh, at the lowest point like i you know i was kind of not honoring my life like i was ashamed to god because i had given this been given all like all these things to share as we all have been given and i couldn't get past my shame or my self-consciousness so i was just not doing anything so i i read this anais nin quote and um it's the quote is and the day came 
when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And, and that's how it felt. I was so scared to share that I had my ostomy, but the risk to just remain in that bud was, was more painful. I felt like I was going to like suffocate. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start this company blossom. And, um, you know, it took, it took in my head in the inchoate stage. I mean, it took probably a I don't know, years and years and years to create it. And then once I actually got, you know, nose to the grindstone, I worked on it for at least two years, mostly during pandemic. I thought, if not now, when? Um, so yeah, that that's that's kind of blossom in a nutshell. And um currently working to bring it to some major hospitals throughout the US. And um integrate it in the programming so that everyone with an ostomy has access to this program so that they don't have to, you know, suffer the shame and the trauma. Um, and also they can learn skills. Like I incorporate everything I've learned in yoga, you know, manifestation, mindfulness. Blossom has modules on diet and, um, you know, eating practices and yoga exercises for people with, with ostomies. So it's really like what I do and I've applied it to this kind of niche population. That just is, is the definition of a mission of a life's work. I feel as if I, I'm asking Greta Thunberg or Mother Teresa, uh, tell us about your work. You know, you've just described a, a calling. You went through this very, very difficult experience, and and now you're using it for good. It's really quite stunning. Thank you. It's it's funny. I say thank you with like hesitancy because I'm. It's so true, but it's just it makes me laugh because I um I felt like it it was a calling for years, and I just like didn't want it to be. I was like can I have a sexier calling? I was like, I didn't want this. Like I rejected it. And then like, I kept getting called like, no, this is like part of your mission. Um, so it was funny that uh, I got this, you know, and we, we get, I, it's, I don't know the exact quote in the Bhagavad Gita, but it's like, the worst thing you can do is to try to live somebody else's Dharma. Yes. <laughs> you know? And I think, there were dharmas I thought were like cooler or maybe more lucrative. I was like, you know, I've spent like so much of my savings creating this program. You know how it is when you have a passion. It's like you you don't make money on it. You spend money on it. So I was like, why can't I have a sexier, more lucrative dharma? But, you know, like ultimately I love it. I am so grateful that I have a purpose through everything I do. Well, that's beautiful. So the uh, website for that is blossomostomy.com and at blossomostomy on Instagram. And then you have an entirely other life and another mission and another Instagram and another website. And this is just so personally gratifying for me because I am the same way. And to try to balance and bring together and justify and harmonize a multifaceted way of being in the world is not the easiest thing going, but I'm going to share that website and that um, Instagram, and then you can tell us a little bit more about some of the other things that you're doing. So Nina Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S, mission.com, that's the other website, and at Nina Hayes Mission. And of course, we will put all of that in the show notes at victoriamoran.com. So as your missions grow, expand, and include so much stuff, let's circle around again to yoga. So so many people, they hear yoga, like, oh yeah, I do yoga. I, you know, I, I, I do hot yoga uh, or, you know, I, I do, um, you know, Anusara or whatever, but it's not so much about doing it's, it's about living. 
So tell us about that for you. Yeah, I mean, well, you kind of said it. It's about living. Uh, I think when I first, I'm always hesitant to like be sound critical of people who uh, sound critical when you know people say I I do yoga and they mean this very narrow, you know, I go to a hot yoga class because that's kind of what got me in the door, not hot yoga per se, but um, my ballet teacher who I would have done anything she told me to, you know, idolized her. She told me to go to yoga because I had tight hip flexors. And uh, I remember, you know, I was, I was arrogant, like, I don't know, 15 year old. And I was thinking yoga, that's for people who can't dance. I remember thinking that. And then, but that got me to yoga. And then I was like, wow, this is a whole wealth of like a tradition that includes thousands of years of spiritual teaching. It includes, um, you know, all the asana, uh, sound yoga, meditation. And ultimately, I mean, the whole point is um, enlightenment, a path to find your way home, like to who you really are. So, I mean, like, it's like, I kind of feel like I'll speak a little bit for you, Victoria, because I feel like, you know, it might look from like for an untrained eye, it might look like you're doing many things, but you're doing one thing. It's just manifesting as your bestseller as the Main Street Vegan Academy, you know, uh, all these, you know, all these components. But I, I think if we look at ourselves, um, and if I look at myself, I can find the thread that from the outside, it looks like I'm doing different things, but I'm always doing yoga. You know, I'm always looking to find my connection to my true self and to others, which ultimately, you know, we are kind of all each other through, I mean, I just have different tools, different mediums, you know, sometimes I'm painting in food, Sometimes I'm teaching others to paint with their bodies. Uh, other times it's self-love and acceptance through the ostomy coaching and the vulnerability work I do. But um, I don't feel like I'm doing different things. I only mention it when other people are like, wow, you do so many things. And I'm like, it's all the same, you know? And I do understand that as, as you explain it. And I come into the same thing that you've talked about, that it, it looks different. And for me right now, I was telling you before the show that I have a proposal with publishers, anybody who wants to pray that I get one and a good one, <laughs> I would appreciate those prayers very much. Um, but what we tried to do in this book proposal, because it's called Age Like a Yogi, is convince publishers that yoga is part of who I am because to the outside world at this point in history, I, I look like a vegan author, even though earlier I did lots of spirituality books, when the truth is yoga is probably the thing that I have done longest other than eating and breathing because I started yoga when I was 17, which was a while ago. And it's it's funny to try to convince people of um, just what's real uh, in your life and <laughs> how you see your expression in the world. I feel like you need to do a prequel to the next book explaining like the broader definition of yoga so that then people get it, right? Well, I think that is some education that the world needs right now. When I first got into yoga, and we're talking the late 1960s, it was considered very, very odd. People didn't know what it was, but it was seen as perhaps dangerously exotic and probably something to stay away from, which of course made me want to find out ever more about it. And as you were a lovely, lithe young woman dancing, I was this overweight kid who read all the time. And I didn't like to exercise. And then when somebody said, but here is yoga and it's this wonderful spiritual philosophy. And there's this component that where you can bring your body to, it was just like, why didn't I know about this? 
Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, when I was 10, uh, instead of having to wait to 17. So you do yoga retreats sometimes in Bali, and I'm always hearing about yoga retreats in Bali. I've never been there. Why is it such a popular spot for yoga retreats? Um, I, (laughs) these stories, I feel like I I wish I could make this stuff up. I don't hear voices frequently, but when I hear them, they're, they're loud. So I was planning a um, yoga retreat in Costa Rica. It was going to be my first yoga retreat. This was back in like 2015. I had already visited venues. This was like 2015. Bali was not as trendy, right? Certainly wasn't an early adopter, but 2015, I woke up in the middle of the night, a super loud voice was like, Bali, Bali. So I got up and um, this has happened to me like only a few times in my life. I don't like, I'm telling my voice stories, but this is like two of three. So uh, I Googled and I found this um, retreat center and it jumped off the website. It became alive. I booked it, I think that night, because the time difference, it was morning for then. I did a buyout of the retreat center with no idea how it was going to pay like $20,000, you know, or something ridiculous. So I committed to this. And then um, when I got there, I I discovered why. Um, it's I learned this stuff after, but, you know, technically it's considered a vortex. Like we talked about Sedona, Victoria, um, other vortexes, uh, you know, are in the world. There's sort of a, a spiritual magnetism to them. Um, also from a yogic perspective and just someone that's into, I guess, mysticism. Um, Bali has a a fascinating blend of um, Balinese Hinduism. So it's it's if you took traditional Hinduism and mixed it with like um, animism of maybe Native Americans or different um, nature traditions, at least that's how I understand it. Um, so to me, it, it just brings out the yoga in me. I feel like my teaching's better there. Um, Uh, I feel like I'm a happier person and uh, it's a communal culture. They respect the youngest to the oldest. So um, for me, I I just, I just love Bali. I I don't even know why. (laughs) Uh, Well, that will go on the bucket list. Maybe one of these days. And and while we're talking about locations, you also spend part of your time in Tulum. Tell us about that lovely sounding place. Yeah, well, I kind of uh, nice segue from Bali. I was planning a yoga retreat in Bali and then pandemic hit. And I had remembered someone said that Tulum was the Bali of Mexico. And um, I don't think it really is, but it's but it's lovely. And I went there with the intention of staying a month and a month turned into two and a half years. And um, for different reasons than Bali, I, I really love it. Uh, I feel like it's open-minded, a lot of yoga, spirituality. I had uh, opportunity to kind of um, get into some of the food scene there. Um, my primary interest is always kind of Asian-inspired and Japanese, but I did some um, some local cooking there and just learned about the ingredients and the Aztec culture. So it became a, it kind of became a second home for me, you know, from one month to over, you know, close to three years. So right now I'm in LA, but you know, we, we'll see where, where my, my teaching and culinary work takes me. Oh, I love it. I love your life, but mostly I love you. So to get information about these various retreats and, and um, your food life and, and the enlightened dinners, et cetera, uh, that is ninahayesmission.com or at ninahayesmission on Instagram. And just as we wind this down, do you have a um, thought or, or a blessing to leave with the listeners? I do, actually. One, it's literally sitting on my table. Um, it's from the, from the Bhagavad Gita. Um, 
verse 2, 24, and it's a, it's a blessing to say before food. I'll read the translation. See God or Brahman everywhere. God is the ladle. God is also the food. God is the fire. God is the preparer. And God is the eater of the food. God is the reason for eating. And God is the goal to be reached. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I will put that in the show notes as well. <laughs> That's absolutely exquisite. I always like to say, because some people have a, a funny relationship with the word God. God isn't an acronym for give your own definition. So whether, <laughs> you know, divine mother, great spirit, universal teacher, love itself, substitute that word. But I think um, at least when I'm doing my chefing work or teaching yoga, it keeps me humble to realize, you know, this is not me. I'm just a conduit, a conduit for all this stuff. So I think that's a really nice prayer to keep um to keep myself humble and to remind me that, you know, why I do anything. Oh, that is a nice prayer. And bless you. And to everybody listening, thank you so much for being a silent part of this conversation today. And may uh, some of those blessings and wonders ripple out and come to you and wrap you up in your life. Now, go out and be remarkable. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can learn more about Victoria or contact her at victoriamoran.com. Be part of her inner circle by joining the Victoria Moran Podcast Listeners Group on Facebook. And if you're a vegan looking to up your game, check out Victoria's acclaimed training and certification program, Main Street Vegan Academy, at MainStreetVegan.com. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.